This is the beginning of part five. There's one on here that I didn't mention. Voice broadcasting can be very popular and very powerful. That's when if you have a list of customers and you have their phone numbers, there are online services that you can load those phone numbers and record a 30-second or a 60-second outgoing message to those callers, and it's very inexpensive. So you can, like an email blast, you can do a phone blast to your customers' answering machines. If someone answers the phone, you can program it to hang up so it only leaves a message on their answering machine, and it sounds very natural, and they would never know that it was delivered by a computer and not you calling them personally. That you can really leverage. Now, there's some new laws coming into effect here. I think they may already be in effect with voice broadcasting. You have to have an opted-in customer list of phone numbers. So you can't broadcast. I think it's illegal now here in the United States unless they're opt-in. Very similar to email and opt-in. That way you can't spam. But that's another inexpensive and effective way in generating sales and traffic. Okay, question number 46. Once you get your niche site up, how do you get 10,000 visitors the first month? Okay, 10,000 visitors the first month. What you got to do, you got to break it down. Let's just, for easy numbers' sake, let's say there's 30 days in a month, so you're going to need 300 visitors per day, right? Now, I want to distinguish. There's a difference between visitors and names and emails, okay? I get about 1,000 unique visitors a day to my website, but I may only get 30, 40, 50, 60, depends, 60 people who sign up their email address and their name. So for visitors, you need 300 visitors per day. If you had a 10-hour day, that's 30 visitors per hour or two visitors per minute. Now, he didn't say anything about money, so I would hire someone part-time, and their job is to promote and direct people to your site. Now, what's on your site? Is there something of value? Why would someone want to go to your site? You've got to have your strategy. You've got to have something to offer at your site to get a visitor. So that's, number one, what you have to think about. But you can hire part-time people, like I talked about, on Craigslist under the gig section or Elance. You can farm it out. You could even go overseas to farm out some of this labor. I talked about transcripts. That you have to be careful with, but there's other labor that you can farm out who can handle this. So look at the possibility of outsourcing, and you can do a search on Google, and I'm sure with some effort you can find someone to do that. And I will have some resources up on the AskMichaelSenoff.com forward slash resource section. Question number 47. Does announcing before the sign-up page that you are offering a downloadable transcript of the audio recording to the subscribers after the interview increase your opt-in rates? I think it could. If a subscriber only had the option to listen live, like let me give you an example. I'm taking Alex's Teleseminar Secrets program, and I kind of know what I've done in my marketing. I market pre-recorded audio interviews. This is a teleseminar, a live teleseminar event. Now, I didn't promote this as hard. I sent two emails out to my list, one announcing that I'll be doing a upcoming teleseminar on how to make more money with your audio interviews. Then I did another email after that that just mentioned the PS. I didn't name the time of when it was going to be, but I said it would be live. Then once I decided on a time, in a PS email, I said, look for my next email, and I'll be announcing the time of the live interview on how to make more money with audio interviews. Then I sent one more email that revealed the time and the date of the actual teleseminar, the live one that we're on right now. And so I only sent it out two times, okay? Now, in all of those emails, 
I thought it was very important to mention that if you can't make the call, and I mentioned this, if you can't make the call, you'll be able to download the recordings, you'll be able to play it on a replay line, and I'll have the full transcript. So I gave them a choice. If you can't make the call, I'll have it available, which is pretty consistent with all the interviews that I have on my site. So it kind of matches my list. So there was no real pressure in making someone come to the live event to listen. Now, I promoted Alex's teleseminar, and the way I promoted it, I sent out six different emails promoting this live teleseminar. It was a promotion call for his teleseminar secrets, and I sent out six different emails. I mean, I sent one out an hour before the call. I really wanted to try this and put it to the test, and I mentioned in all those emails, it will only be live. I will not be reposting this to my site, and I do not have it on my site. Only the people who signed up and registered can get access to the replay. If you didn't sign up and register your first name, last name, and your email address, you would not get access to it. So the only way you could hear it is live. And every time you send out an email to your list, let's say you have 10,000 people on your list, or let's say you have 1,000 people to your list. And if you have a pretty good reputation, you send out 1,000 emails, and you may have about maybe 200 open up the email. And then out of those 200, you may have a certain amount of people who will do what you ask them to do. It may end up being one or two percent. But you can send that same email out a week later and get a whole nother one or two percent or a whole nother 200 people to open up your email. And then you can send it out another time of the day on a different day. And you may have another 200 out of those 1,000 people open up. So every time you send out an email, you're going to be hitting a different section of your list, which is going to increase your chance of either delivering someone to an interview that you have or getting them to register for a free teleseminar event. But I think after studying Alex's stuff, there's definitely power in the listen only because it makes people come because they don't want to miss it. But I think they're coming because they just don't want to miss it. My thing is I'd like to get the content into the head of that potential prospect. I don't want anything to stand in the way. People don't like being told what to do. I want to say I'm going to have a teleseminar. It's going to be live. If you want to be on a live call, great. Here's the time. I didn't promote it highly because I only had room for 96 people on the line. But I always said that you're going to get the replay no matter what. And I bet that I'm going to have a lot of people listen to this replay after it's done. I don't know how many people are on the line right now, but that's okay because it's going to be more convenient for me to deliver this recorded teleseminar to someone on their own terms. And they can download it. They can replay it on a phone line. They'll be able to listen to it on YouTube. I'm going to give them all the different methods that I market my audio interviews as a way to listen to this. So when you say offering the transcripts as a bonus to sign up, I think that would help you. I'm offering everything no matter what, but I think that does make it effective. There are people who will only offer the listen live event or they'll upsell the transcripts for 10 bucks. So if they register for the live event and there's an upsell for $10, you can get the transcripts, and then they may do a further upsell of the transcripts in a three-ring binder with a CD. So there's ways to sell that information as well. But I'm looking for the big picture. I don't want anything to get in the way of the message. I want to be able to sell a higher-end service like my audio interview 
service where I charge people to do an interview and to be able to edit it and get that interview up on all the different methods and the ways that I'm marketing my audio interviews. Do it all for them. I'd rather have a chance to make a sale like that than make a $10 sale on some transcripts and not have the potential of getting my message and my whole sales message inside their head. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. For more exclusive interviews on business, marketing, advertising, and copywriting, go to Michael Senoff's hardtofindseminars.com. Okay, we'll move on to the next section, which is preparing for and conducting the interview. Okay. And this is question number 48. How do you typically prepare for each interview? It depends on the type of interview. The easiest and my favorite is by sending out an email to my list saying, hey, I'm going to be interviewing Ben Settle on copywriting. If you've got any questions to ask Ben, send them in, and we're going to cover everything you want to know about copywriting. That's the easiest. The way I've done this ask campaign is the easiest for preparing because your questions come from your students already. Another simple way is a story interview. There was a gentleman named Stan Ballou. He was a sales training expert, and the way we did his interview, I said, Stan, okay, here's how we're going to do the interview. You're going to think back in your career, and you're going to come up with 15 of your most incredible sales stories, and I want you to email them to me. So he emailed me 15 of all these stories, and then we did the interview, and all I said is, okay, Stan, you've given me 15 of your greatest sales stories. Let's start with number one. Just like what I'm doing with you, Ben, you've got all the questions, and we're taking them one at a time, and I would ask the question, and he would just tell the story. That's a real easy interview format, and people love stories. They love to listen in on stories. They're very powerful. Case stories, success stories, failure stories, stories sell for sure. If you're doing an interview and someone has a published book, you can look at their table of contents or you can look in the back of their index and you can pull all your questions from that. They've already had a publisher organize the whole format of the book so you can look at that table of contents and organize and create your entire interview that way. You can look at competitors' books in the same market and look at how they did it. The simple things to prepare for the interview that don't have to do with that is on our digital recorders bin, we both made sure we had fresh batteries. We both made sure we were on hardwire phones. We both made sure there were no interruptions or noises in the background. We both made sure we had some water to drink. And these are some things as well. You and I practiced yesterday. You and I did a little dry run through where we both logged into the free conference call.com and thank God we did, right? Yeah. Because yeah. we couldn't figure it out. On the moderator, Ben and I are the moderators. I had it and I wrote down where you press star before the number, but you supposed to press it after, so we weren't even in as moderators. We were in as participants, and we couldn't figure out why the phone buttons weren't working, but we figured it all out, and we prepared for this, so I'll be transparent. I've done a lot of preparation for this. I'm not winging this. I've got right in my hand a printout, 20 pages of my questions, and I have bullet points of everything I'm going to say. That's why I'm saying if you're being interviewed, it's hard. I've put days of work into just this teleseminar. You've got a lot of preparation. So, you know, it's easier to interview the expert. It's easier to be the guy asking the questions. I want to hit on that point again. So those are the things that I would do to typically prepare for each one of my interviews. Okay. Question 49. Are there specific questions, regardless of industry, that will have the maximum impact in an audio interview? 
Maximum impact is simply, again, you want to make sure that your interview is matched to your market. What's the purpose of the interview? The people listening to it, are they listening to things that they really want to know about? And that's why you got to do your research. That's why you got to use an ask campaign. Okay, that's why you want to dig deep when you're looking in the indexes of books on Amazon or you're looking at websites, you're looking at the bullets. You absolutely have to be a good listener. You know, Ben, you're a good listener. You're not chiming in. I'm doing most of the talking, which is fine, and that's how I do it on the other end. I just ask the questions and kind of shut up. There are some good advantages to really listen, like you've brought up some great points and added to the call, but you were only able to do that because you're paying attention and you're listening. One thing you definitely don't want to leave off is a call to action. You want to tell your listener what to do. Not only at the end, you may want to tell them what to do 15 minutes into the interview. You may want to tell them what to do 30 minutes into the interview, and you may want to tell them what to do right before the end of the interview. You want to make an offer. You want to make it risk-free. You want to direct them to a website. You want to have them pick up the phone and call you. So call to action. At the end of that interview, what do you want that listener to do? Tell them what to do. That you should never leave off. Question number 51. When you interview people, it's almost as though you know them on a personal basis. How important is it to know the people you are interviewing beforehand? I don't think it's really that important. You know, a lot of the people, I don't know them that well. I mean, almost all of them. I don't really know them that well. I've never met them personally. But there's an unspoken word. Like I said, you know, when a PR expert lines up interviews for his client, that client understands that you're going to do an interview, people are going to listen to it, and you want to come off sounding like a nice guy. You know, so that interview, the two people, the interviewer and the interviewee, have to kind of sound like friends and respect each other. And, and, you know, if you're doing an interview with respect and you're kind and you're polite, that's how friends treat each other. So that's probably why it sounds that I'm friends with all these people. Number 53, should I send the questions I plan to ask to my interviewee before the actual conversation? That's a good question. You can. I don't do it very much. I guess it's not a bad idea. You know, I've done it sometimes. If you're interviewing a real pro who's a real expert at what he does, he's not going to need to see the questions. He's confident enough, and he's done this enough, and he's internalized his expertise. You won't have to do it. And I think he may look at them, but he may not study them. Someone maybe who doesn't have the confidence may study them and really want to make sure that there's no curveball questions in there. I don't do it much. I don't think it's necessary. If they ask, you have nothing to lose by doing it. Okay. Question number 54. How long should an audio interview be? All right, Ben. How long should a sales letter be? Yeah, it's got to be as long as... As long as it has to. As long as you're providing good content. You know, most of my interviews are between 30 minutes and 90 minutes. Most of them will fall in between right around an hour after they're edited. You know, the more you tell, the more you sell. I know you've heard in the copywriting circles, a two-page letter will outsell a one-page letter. A four-page letter will outsell a two-page letter. An eight-page letter will outsell a four-page letter and on and on, right? Well, I mean, if somebody's interested in something, they can't get enough of it. If you were doing an interview that was four hours long about copywriting, I'd probably listen to the whole thing. So as long as it needs to be. And the great thing about audio interviews is the more content you have, the more valuable it is. Maybe you have an ebook that only sells for 20 bucks, and it's on making money in the cleaning business. You can increase the value of that product to $3,000. 
Go interview 10 cleaning experts around the country. Do the interviews, offer the interviews, put them on CDs, offer the transcripts, offer the downloads, and you can get world-class experts who have made million dollars in the cleaning business. By the way, I have a recording with two cleaning experts who started cleaning businesses from the back of their car, one in Canada and one in Atlanta. And that's one recording. I get a ton of people who want to talk to these guys. Very popular. A business opportunity. People want to get into a business that they can make some money with and cleaning. Pretty much everyone knows how to clean. It's not hard. A lot of people don't want to do it. All right, next question. Okay. You know, this is just a little bit off topic, but something you just said there reminded me that a lot of times you don't know what the most popular audio will be. I have an interview about putting seminars on, and, you know, I don't ever talk about this on my website, but it's by far the most downloaded thing. Oh, really? Is it an interview you did with somebody? Yeah, or a buddy copywriter friend of mine, Brian Healy, he specializes in writing seminar copy. So I thought I'd interview him on it. And since then, I've noticed that it's always the most viewed page on my site. And I've even told him, dude, you got to create a product. I need to sell something because there's a ton of people looking for that. Wow. It's like you were saying with the cleaning one. You probably didn't expect that to be one of the most popular ones. No, you just don't know. you got to look at the demand. The demand is out there. It's just like the old Eugene Schwartz recording. You know, if you think you're going to go do an interview and create this interview to sell somebody on something, it doesn't work that way. You just got to provide valuable information, position them as an expert, and put that interview in front of the demand. There's demand on YouTube. There's demand on iTunes. There's demand on all the social media sites. Each one of them, within its own little country, has search boxes, and there's millions of people searching for different things within those services. So that's why your interview, your expertise, there are people searching for that. You have to put your information in front of that demand. They have to stumble upon you, or you have to strategically place yourself in front of that demand. That's what this is all about. And by having it as an audio interview, you have a very great chance of getting your sales message in front of that demand listened to. Well, we can go to question 55 is, if an interview is running overtime, how do you go about asking for another interview to cover the things you may have missed? If you want a good 45-minute to hour interview edited, I would ask for an hour and a half. If you really want to go for it and want to make sure there's nothing scheduled after that, say we're going to need two hours. You're listening to an interview on Michael Senoff's hardtofindseminars.com. If you're hesitant about doing that, take what you can get. Ask for an hour and settle for 30 minutes. Even if you get a good 30-minute interview with a high-profile guy, that's still valuable because you've got the interview, you've got yourself interviewing him, you've got his name, and that's going to be good for generating traffic and generating leads. So you just ask. You can ask beforehand, before you set it up with him. Say, hey, how long will you have? Bill Bartman, I think we were at an hour and a half, and I had more questions, and it was such a good interview, but he stopped me. He's like, no, we've got to stop right now, so I ended it, but I asked. Okay. Question number 56. When giving an audio interview, how much of it is scripted? When giving an audio interview, I guess you're asking the questions and I'm giving the audio interview. Your questions are scripted because you have them all in front of you, right? Right. But we didn't write the script. The students wrote the script for us. My answers, they're not scripted, but I do have bullets in front of me of what I'm going to say. Because it's live, I don't want to lose my train of thought. And it's pretty hard to concentrate for three hours on this. And it's very easy to do, but I don't want to mess up live. So I prepared, and I've got bullets, just key points that I can look at. But I'm not reading a script. I'm just looking at bullets and ideas so I can keep on topic. So very little is scripted, actually. Okay. 
question number 57. What makes a good interviewer? I think the number one most important thing is doing good research and being a good listener. You know, you're doing an interview with a big-name guy, and you're going to have this desire to say, yeah, Ted, you know, when I was doing a copywriting product, you know, you want to get your two cents in, you know, because you're the interviewer. You maybe think of yourself as more important than you really are. You're really just the guy asking the questions. So being a good listener, not interrupting, and being able to listen and dig deep, listen for, you know, the hooks, you know, being able to ask questions that maybe no one else would ask, being able to make the expert feel comfortable, being professional and being meticulous in your editing. You know, just from a marketing and copywriting point of view, when I'm doing these interviews now, when they're talking, and I get the idea of, well, I would sure like to make this claim in my ad. I'll actually ask a question just to get them to say it so I can legally make the claim in my ad. Oh, wow, that's a good idea. Oh, I do it all the time. I mean, they will write your ad for you. Can you think of an example? Well, I can't think of a word-for-word specific example, but I can give you some ideas. When I interviewed David Deutsch, the A-list copywriter. I was asking him about how you get into the direct mail industry, and he gave me an answer, but I wasn't really happy with it in the sense that it was like, because I knew I was going to write an ad for this interview. So I wanted him to say something a little bit more sexier. <laughs> yeah. I said, so would you consider that a backdoor way into the industry? Right. Well, yeah. So now my bullet is a backdoor way into the... Uh, oh, that's great. So you have some of your words already written out with the intention of asking that pre-planned? Yeah, and I can't speak for everyone, but I mean, you probably have to have some knowledge of what a good bullet point looks like and everything, but when you understand that most of an ad is just bullet points, you can ask them questions in a way where they'll give you the bullet points. Right, that's smart. You can do the same thing with audio, too. Oh, yeah, definitely. That's right. Well, that's why it's so powerful. If you've got someone who's got a sales letter for a product, go to their bullet points, and whatever the bullet point is, turn it into a question. Yeah, I mean, it really can be that simple. And just another thing I wanted to add in there was, the more of these I started doing, you would always give me feedback, and, you know, it was usually the same feedback. Shut up. <laughs> right. <laughs> the thing is, is now I almost get to the point where I edit myself out. I mean, I don't even want to hear myself. <laughs> I just keep editing myself out. That's right, because they're not there to listen to you. They're there to listen to your expert. It's not about you. It's about your expert. They want the information from the expert. And if you keep chiming in, it's like, you know, we talked about this analogy. You're at a party, and there's three people talking, and, you know, there's a third wheel just chiming in in your conversation. It's annoying. Yeah, it really is. And people will turn it off. They'll stop the play button. They'll put their headphones down. They'll click somewhere else. You're gone in a matter of a second. So you got to do everything you can to make that audio interview listening experience as smooth as possible. And don't give any reason for them to turn you off. You know, you would never write a sales letter for a client and put your rough draft up on the Internet and say, here you go, right? Well, that was the whole objection I've always had to doing just live interviews. Right. You know what I mean? I understand the appeal of it and everything, but, yeah, you wouldn't put a first 20-page draft up there. I did an interview with a social media expert, Joseph Bratliff. You know him. Yep. It was about a two-and-a-half-hour interview, and I cut it down to about 42 minutes because it was all repeat, repeat, repeat. You know, I was asking the same stuff, and so was he. And, I mean, I'm sure the people listening to it would much rather listen to a 42-minute interview with the straight facts than two-and-a-half hours of fluff. That's right. No, that makes sense. And because I have the recording, and I know this is live, so we've got the live version with the callers on now, but that replay is not going to be live. I am going to edit that replay, and I'll edit down and only include the most important stuff. If I've repeated myself, and I have repeated myself a couple times, I'm going to delete that out. You have the luxury of doing that once you get it down, you know, recorded digitally. Okay. 
Question 58. What is the most important part of your personality and thinking process which enabled you to make this system a success? Yeah, I think just commitment. You know, I remember interviewing Jay Conrad Levinson, and it was a question and answer interview, and someone asked him what's the most important thing about a marketing campaign or marketing, and he says commitment, just sticking to your message, and I think just sticking to it and not giving up and getting better and better and just knowing that it will work if you just push through, you know, all the obstacles that get in your way personally or financially or technologically. Just go for it and be committed and just start with that one. Say you're going to do just one interview. Otherwise, you could just hire it out. If you've got the money, no problem. You can just hire someone to do it all for you. But I'm going to say commitment. Okay. Question 59. I think you've already answered this, but what is a good interview format? That's just question and answer, right? Yeah, good interview format. We talked about the question and answer format, like what we're doing now, the story format, case study format. You know, the table of contents format. There's a wing it format. You know, some of my first interviews, I didn't plan anything. And you can wing it. And sometimes you'll get lucky and get a good interview. You know, if you have a goal of what you're after. Okay. Question number 60. How do you get your experts to open up and divulge information normally sold in ebooks or delivered at conferences for money? It's real simple, and we talked about it before. People love talking about themselves. Most experts are really nice people. Ask, and you will receive. Simple as that. And you're big on getting people, if it's a money-making type thing, to talk about numbers, specific numbers. Yeah, if they're an expert and they're supposedly making all this money, I'll ask them specifically how much they make, how many names do they have on their list. I'll go for the good money information that people really want to know. You know, you being the interview, you're doing what the listener wished they would do or maybe are afraid to do. So you're really their voice. And they may fantasize about asking the guy how much he's really making or really grill him, but he'd be too afraid to ask. You've got to do that for them. That makes your interviews valuable, and you're doing them a service. You're asking the experts the stuff that he's afraid to ask and they can just listen in as a voyeur okay question 61 is it hard to sound sincere when recording an audio interview I would say it is if you're really not interested in doing the interview or you're not behind the purpose of what you're doing it for. If you're aloof about what you're doing, it may be hard to sound interesting. But if you're doing the interview and you're conducting the interview and you're just asking the questions, you're not going to be talking that much. All you've got to do is read off the question. So there's not much time to sound sincere. Your interview expert is the guy who's got to come off sounding sincere. You're just the messenger. You're just asking the question. Does that make sense? It makes perfect sense. It's pretty simple. Question number 62, what if I did not sound too good on voice recordings? Well, a lot of people think they don't sound very good. It's kind of different when you hear your own voice and when someone else hears your own voice. But if you really sound terrible, not terrible, let's say you may sound different than what your market is used to hearing. If you have a thick accent or you're from another country and you're trying to sell to middle America, that's going to be a barrier of getting your message into the ears and the minds of your prospects. So let's say you're the expert being interviewed and you want to use that interview to promote and sell your existing product, but you may have a heavy accent and that may deter your sales or reduce your sales because it's more difficult for people to hear you. I would maybe hire someone. You could script out your interview or you could have someone interview you and you can have an expert replay the interview, get an actor to do it. Now, I have done that in two occasions. Jim Straw, a very well-known mail-order guy, had some hearing problems, so he was unable to do a phone interview. 
but I had questions submitted to my list. All the questions came in. I sent them to Jim. He answered them all in his own words, and I hired an actor to play the part of Jim Straw. So I was the interviewer, and the actor was playing the part of Jim Straw, answering the questions. And we were transparent about it. You know, I say right there in the interview that this is an actor playing Jim Straw, but after listening to it for a while, you forget it's an actor. And I did the same thing with Eugene Schwartz, who's dead now, a famous copywriting speech that he did for one of the big publishing companies, and I hired an actor to recreate that. So you can hire an actor to recreate the audio interview or the audio message. It's the message that they want to hear, the words, the combination of the words, you know, that sell the ideas on the prospect, not necessarily the voice. So I would say hire it out. And let's face it, you know, you're not supposed to be talking anyway, so who cares? That's right. Number 63, I find that professional voiceover artists charge by the minute. Where can I hire people who charge nominal rates to interview on my behalf? Okay, real quickly on this, I would go to Elance, Craigslist, in the gig section. I would ask around. I would search Google. You could look for people who are in radio, broadcast industries, retired reporters. Ben and I were doing a product for Walmart, and I put an ad in the Bentonville, Arkansas newspaper looking for previous Walmart reporters. I got a bunch of calls. You can put an ad for a retired reporter. Just search around. Google is your best friend. If you're looking for it, you'll find it. Ask around. Question number 64, and this is also a very good question. How is the best way to make the interview not sound like a sales pitch, but still get the audience to want to buy your product? You know, give them value. Answer the questions that you think they want to know. Make it easy for them to buy or try. Offer a money-back guarantee. And don't sound like a sales pitch. You don't really get anyone to buy anything. People decide to buy or they choose to buy. So your information is in front of someone with a certain level of demand, and I think the way you conduct that interview will have a reaction on what that level of demand is and how likely they are to decide to pay for your product or service. So sometimes you're never going to get anyone to buy from an interview if they're not a prospect in the first place. And if they're not a prospect in the first place, there's probably a pretty good chance they're not listening. But there are things that will deter them from buying, like a poor quality interview or interruptions or bad sound quality or a thick accent. Okay, question number 65. If I want to pitch anything by the end of the interview, should I rehearse the transition to the pitch beforehand or try to make it naturally? I think you could script it out. I think you can try it both ways. I've done it both ways. I'd say it's a judgment call. If you think you're not going to be able to cut it doing it naturally or you're going to forget, I would have it scripted out just in case. You may want to try it naturally, but you could always fall back on your script if it doesn't work out. And plus, in the interview, you're going to have the option to edit it later. Let's say you try it naturally and you mess it up. Well, in your editing, you can take all the time you want, script it out, or try it naturally ten times and get a good version of it naturally, and just paste it wherever you want in the interview. For more interviews like this, go to hardtofindseminars.com. This is the end of Part 5. Please continue to part six.